bird app that will not only help you connect with birds, but also other birders, a challenge that celebrates Heritage Month in South Africa, and an opportunity to conserve an iconic South African species. All this and more in this week's episode of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I am the host of this proudly South African birding podcast. This podcast is your number one source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders would want to hear about. Bring new life to your garden this spring with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store. Westerman's, for the love of birds. In this, the first episode of Season 8, I chat with not one, but four fantastic people, all playing a significant role in conservation. First up, I have a chat with Dr. David Roberts from the Southern African Foundation for the Conservation of Coastal Birds, or as many of you know it, SANCOB. Okay, so we're having a chat today to Dr. David Roberts from SANCOB. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. So before we get into the episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at SANCOB. So um, I work here as a veterinarian. I'm a full-time vet, and um, I just work with seabirds. So half our patients are penguins, and the other half are other seabirds. And um, that keeps me very busy. We never get bored here. We've got lots of patients to look after. And it's my job to make sure that the ones that come in that need veterinary care get the treatment they need, the surgical or uh, medical treatment, and that the, the birds undergoing our rehabilitation process are um, released successfully um, and healthy again back into the wild. I also help a bit with big picture conservation work, um, advising colonies and um, other conservation authorities on disease outbreaks and things like that. And then besides working at Sankob, you know, always it's always an interesting question because this is a birding, uh, birding podcast. I actually heard your ringtone just before this. That's why I'm asking the question. Are you into birding as such or are you just, uh, just a veterinarian? Yeah, I'm um, a keen birder. I'm only just starting out and I'm far um, prefer identifying birds and looking at their behavior and then going to new places and, and seeing what I can find. Um, and it's yeah, it's a new hobby for me, and it, it, I find it really rewarding. You're based down on the Cape. It's a fantastic birding destination. So, yeah, oh, it's not a bad place to be to start your birding journey. Yep, I'm having fun just finding out. Cape's full of little brown jobs, and so it makes it more challenging. Little brown jobs and the hectic wind. <laughs> so that's, that's Cape birding for you. Yes. So yeah, we're going to be um, as uh, the birding the birding life podcast and us as a whole. We're going to be trying to endeavouring this season to raise funds for Sankop towards the conservation of penguins. So we'll talk about how we can do that a little bit later on in the show. But you know, obviously, we were we'll talk about the adopt a penguin project a bit later on and how people can get involved in that and also how they can support Sankob in a maybe a broader sense. But tell us about Sankob a little bit, which is the South African Southern African Foundation for the Conservation of Coastal Birds. A lot easier saying Sankob. It's quite a mouthful. Tell us about Sankob. What does Sankob do and why should people support the this important organization? Okay, so an organization that's been around for more than 50 years working in the Cape, started out as uh, mostly a rehabilitation center working mostly with penguins that were affected by oiling. And it's grown since then to include all our seabirds that, that may be in need of assistance. And we don't just do rehab anymore and oil spill response. We also branch out into all the conservation that's, that these birds need. So working with um, government and um, NGOs and other conservation stakeholders, just making sure that the environment that these birds rely on um, is looked after properly. Uh, we have, um, for example, our oil spill response now doesn't just respond to oil spills, but we try to prevent um, disasters before they happen and um, respond to, to any sort of disaster that might affect um, birds. Those could be flooding or changes in weather, um, mass abandonments of chicks, as well as disease outbreaks or some sort of pollution disaster like an oil spill. So we we're doing a lot, um, but most of my work is based at our center in um, Table View, and I help the rehabilitation team look after their birds. So we're going to be specifically highlighting the African penguin. Um, 
I just thought about, you know, I was watching, I think it's that show called Penguin Town, which is on Netflix. And, you know, if you go down to Boulder's Beach in Cape Town, uh, just as a maybe someone that doesn't know, it can seem like there's a lot of penguins. And we're talking about conserving penguins, but you go to Boulder's and it looks like there's lots of penguins there. I mean, they're all over. They're easy to see. Why should we be conserving penguins? Aren't there a lot of them around? So unfortunately not. Um, and it is quite sad. Not only have their population numbers really dropped over the last um, few decades, but they continue to decline. So for example, this, um, naturally, there would be over 2 million individual penguins uh, in this um, Southern African marine ecosystem. And at the moment, we only have about 4,500 individuals. And every year, the, the numbers keep going down. And that's um, it's a multifactorial problem. It, they are primarily one of our biggest concerns is the fact that they, they don't have enough fish to eat. Uh, that's just because fish stocks are very low and um, unreliable. And that's based uh, or caused by changes to the climate, overfishing, unsustainable fishing practices, and, and a few other, other problems that are affecting the whole ecosystem. And penguins as the top predator are suffering um, and when their numbers are going down, we know that it's, it's an indication that the whole ecosystem's not doing well. So yeah, every year we, we get our um, penguin counts looked at and that the numbers haven't gone down. One of our aims as an organization is to halt that decline of the population. And uh, that's a big challenge at the moment. So if we didn't intervene and the decline were just to carry on as it is, you know, what sort of time frame would they would penguins possibly go extinct in a relatively short amount of time if we don't intervene and do something about it? Yes, the um, the timeline doesn't look good. So we could have what we call functional extinction in um, less than 10 years. For uh, As an example, 10 years ago, there were close to 80,000 penguins. And going from 80,000 to just just under 5,000 now, already in, in a 10-year period, um, they might not be totally extinct. You might still see penguins in the wild, but um, they wouldn't contribute meaningfully to the, the ecosystem anymore. So we're looking at a, a very short time frame in which we can make a big difference. Um, and that includes what Sankop does, um, rescuing, re rehabilitating, putting more chicks back into the wild, but also really cleaning up the ecosystem so they can support these birds. That's scary. I mean, you think about it, if somebody were to, if their child was born now, if someone has a young child, that that child potentially could become a teenager and maybe never see an African penguin the way we, that we see them. That's scary. Yep, it's happening and it's happening in our lifetimes. One of the things that's always, I can imagine, a challenge is obviously South Africa, the, especially in the Western Cape, fishing is a big part of the economy. And I mean, you, you, a lot of people, that's how they make, their, that's how they make a living. And, and you obviously are guys, uh, you know, we talk about overfishing and that kind of thing. So how do we strike that balance? Because obviously there's the, the balance between the conservation side of things and there's also the fishing industry. How do, we, how do you strike that balance where um, you don't have penguins, uh, don't have not penguins, you don't have, you don't have um, fishermen going up in arms because you're trying to, they, they think that you're going to um, touch their livelihood. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult situation to work with. Um, but so what we've been very pleased with is the way that the um, Department of Forestry, Fisheries and Environment has been tackling the problem. They've asked for stakeholders um, and experts in the conservation and ecology fields, as well as the fishing industries to, to come together and, and talk about how we solve this problem. Of course, the fishing industry also doesn't want all the fish to disappear. They rely on them and collapsing fish stocks will affect them as well. So the compromise that we're trying to come to is a way that we can continue having enough fish in the sea to support both the animals and the people that rely on them. Um, and that includes closing off certain areas around um, important penguin breeding habitats, reducing the number of fish that can be taken out so everyone's got a fair share, um, and, and controlling that holistically. Um, so, and it can't be done without the, the support of government, the sort of support of the, the legal framework that um, that we all have to rely on. And so we're quite happy that th there is that sort of engagement happening. We'd like to see uh, more long-term thinking like that. Um, and that's yeah, protecting from, from the fishing point of view, that will also help the, the livelihoods of the people who, who are catching the fish. What we'd really like to see is more fish 
that's caught in South Africa staying um, in the country and being used for the South African market, not being exported, um, or being at least used for, um, for food for people. A lot of the anchovy that's caught, almost all of it, is um, ground down into fish meal and then used as this this um, dried fish meal, which is used for fertilizer, used for animal feed, and doesn't go into the human food chain. Um, that's something that we'd rather rather not see so that, that the fish can be as useful as possible here in South Africa. Something interesting, and I was just going through a couple of facts about penguins that uh, you guys sent me, and they spoke about the fact that there's actually a purpose. I mean, the coloration, they're beautiful little birds, almost like they're little in tuxedos. They're really cool birds. I think that's that's the cool thing about them. It's, it's, it's one of those birds that a lot of people, you know, when we start talking about a wandering albatross, you've got to try and show people a picture, but almost everybody knows about a penguin. There's a little little dude that's dressed in a little tuxedo they're quite cool little and but apparently there's a function why that that black and white coloration is not just there to make them look cool look cool in photos there's actually function behind them um can you chat about the function behind the coloration on the african penguin yes uh there are several different theories as to why penguins are black and white many animals that live in the ocean will have a darker top and a, and a whiter belly and um they're one of the reasons for that is because if you, you're swimming in the sea and you look up, of course, the surface is quite bright. And if you look down, it's quite dark. Um, and so one of the, the original theories is why animals are clear, colored like that is just as camouflage. Uh, it's harder to, to see if they the same color as their background. But there are all sorts of um, other reasons that these patterns are useful. And one of them is actually startling fish. So as predators, they often will work together to feed from a school of fish and um, swimming in and out of a school and changing direction quickly, those black and white colors make it easier for them to, to catch their prey. Um, I'm sure there are all sorts of um, other unknown benefits um, and that the pressure that that's the evolutionary pressure, which selects for these penguins could be all sorts of different things. But um, those are the people talking about at the moment. Um, it also makes them look great. And then in terms of the differences between the species, uh, is there a difference between them? And if there is, how do you tell the difference between a male and a female ah, penguin? So, uh, the only species we've got here in Southern Africa that isn't a vagrant is the African penguin. So it's easy to, when you find a penguin, it's almost always an African penguin. Um, and the males and females are quite difficult to tell apart in most seabirds, penguins included. And um, we can never be 100% sure. But one of the ways, if, if you've got penguins and they're in a pair, the bigger ones usually male, the males will have a slightly more robust bill. But if you've got one penguin that you're looking at, it can be quite difficult, especially if they're not mature adults. Um, we still don't guarantee that when we look at a penguin, and we see hundreds of them all the time, um, that we know which, which sex they are. Um, and even if you take the measurements, the 60% uh, of them, well, say 30% of the small beaks, the smallest beaks, female, 30% are male, and the rest might be one or the other. Um, so yeah, they're, they're definitely not um, sexually dimorphic in the way that you see many other birds. So we've spoken about the conservation threats, and we spoke about the fishing industry and all that kind of thing. But on a practical sense, what is Sankop doing to ensure that penguins are being conserved? What What are you guys doing on a, in a, on a practical basis? Yeah, so we are very busy with all sorts of different things. Um, one of the projects that I'm working with at the moment is trying to make sure that there's um, good understanding of protection against avian influenza, uh, a disease which um, is affecting seabirds all over the world. Um, and that's just one of the ways that we're helping with the conservation authorities who mandated to look after the colonies. We um, provide on-the-ground support um, with rangers who work in most of the, the big penguin colonies, uh, That and they... They help with everyday things, but um, specifically doing some of the research and monitoring and rescuing birds that need help. We have a chick bolstering project where chicks that wouldn't survive in the wild because the parents have abandoned them, as well as eggs that have been abandoned, are rescued. And they're kept here. Um, we incubate those eggs, we raise the chicks, and then we release them back into the wild. And in that way, a few hundred extra penguins um, survive their, their chick. Um, time every year, and um, they both boost the population. We're working with um, our contingency plans, as I mentioned before, for um, any type of disasters to make sure that, that we're ready to respond 
to them. And uh, we also have a, a very active environmental education program. So people come here to look at the penguins, we visit schools, um, and we explain why people um, need to look after them, um, why they, they're important, and how it's um, everyday people can, can make small changes in their lives that make a difference to the penguin as well as the rest of the ocean ecosystem. Um, you know, we are chatting a little bit about, I think, I think the show was called Penguin Town. It was that Netflix show. And obviously the penguin industry in the Cape or um, so the tourism industry is quite big. You know, a lot of people go to come to Cape Town whether they're birders or not and want to see um, African penguins. And one of the places we know is boulders. In which ways does the the tourism industry, is there ways that the tourism industry, um, in terms of people coming to see uh, the penguins and that, and even stuff like on TV, how, how does that kind of thing help to ensure that penguins are being conserved? The amazing thing about penguins is people love them. And so it really helps that they're one of the, the big attractions in Cape Town. If people are spending a few days here, um, many will go and see the penguins. And that helps. It's, it's a window into thinking about the ocean. Um, and so more people who are interested and um, have that emotional connection to any type of wildlife helps um, in the big picture of um, conserving that wildlife. So penguins are just one of those. Um, and having people that make that, that engagement, that helps a lot. Of course, um, the funding that comes along with tourists or the, the souvenirs that they buy, the entrance fees to go and look at penguins in the, in the parks all um, help as well to support the local economy and mean that these animals are, are an important part of the lives of the people who live in those areas as well. So tourism is essential. Um, Sankob also uh, benefits from people coming to visit us. We um, can spread our message. Um, they pay a little bit for the tours. And um, even people visiting penguins in zoos all over the world help um, with conservation as well. A lot of the... the the better zoos have conservation funds. A part of the ticket fund, ticket sale money that, that goes into people, or the people pay to go and visit the zoos, goes into conservation projects. And those could be all over. But um, in South Africa, a lot of the penguin research that we see is partially funded by tourism. So we speak about, you know, why it's important to conserve penguins. And if somebody's stumbled across this who's not a birder, might, they might have no reason from a birding perspective to conserve penguins. But the thing is, what I think is what we've, as we've seen, you know, the, the knockoff effect of, of penguins going extinct is going to affect the economy. It's going to affect a lot of different things. Plus, you also spoke about the fact it's an indicator species. It's showing, you know, when penguins start, the numbers start declining, it's, it's, it's because the fish numbers are going down. So, you know, there's a lot of, like as we spoke, there's a lot of very important reasons why penguins should be a conservation priority in South Africa. Yes, um, they are um, very special to, to our ecosystem. Um, and as top predators, they, they have a role to play as well. Um, they recycle nutrients, um, which goes through the fish to the guano, which goes to um, build up the, the algal populations again, which feed the krill and the fish. Um, and yeah, so we find that they're, they're an essential part of um, not only the ecosystem, but also the culture of the people um, who, who care about them. And it's not just the locals, but um, globally, People, people love penguins, and so keeping them around is, is going to be good for all of us. So there's many ways that people can support Sankob, and you can maybe share a couple of those ways in a moment. But one of the ways that we are encouraging people this season, um, between now and December, to support Sankob is to adopt a penguin. So there's a couple of different options. Um, you can adopt a resident penguin for 1,000 rand, adopt and name any penguin of your choice for 600 rand, Adopt a penguin egg for three hundred rand, and we're gonna we're gonna try and endeavour this season to raise twenty thousand rand for Sankop. So that will mean that we have twenty of the resident birds at Sankop being adopted. You don't get to take it home, unfortunately. Um, it, it, it stays at Sankop. Just thought as a disclaimer. And we've got some cool prize giveaways and that. So yeah, you can. We encourage you to support. So how can people adopt a penguin? The easiest way is to visit our website, um, www.sankob.co.za. Um, easy to find. And um, have a look at the tab saying, how can we help? And then you'll see all the options um, for how you can adopt a penguin. So if you adopt one, you get a little certificate photograph and the name that you've chosen printed on that um, and a little bit of other Sankob merchandise. Uh, but you can also phone through to our center and, and speak to 
uh, the receptionists here about um, what suits you best. We've got all the options. Um, other things that people can do to support Sankop, um, just if you're interested in, in what we're doing, follow us on social media or sign up for our newsletter and we can keep you informed of all the exciting things that are going on. Um, have a look at the website. We've got a wish list of things that um, we could find very useful to continue with our work. Uh, maybe there's something there that's, that you can donate. And to help the, the animals in general, um, just um, think about those decisions that you make in your personal life and in your in your um, professional life about being more sustainable and wasting less. Everything that's, that we can reduce um, our impact on the environment eventually does pay off in the long run. Like we said, um, throughout the season, we'll be highlighting the important work that Sankob is doing um, for African penguins, also highlighting African penguins on social media and just letting you fall in love with them again. They're such beautiful, beautiful birds. Um, we, we do want to ask if you are going to sponsor Sankob, we'll pop a link into the, into the show notes. Please don't send us the money. <laughs> Pay, we want the money to go directly to Sankob. All we ask you is send us a, just let us drop us an email on info at theburninglife.com. Let us know proof of payment. Let us know that you've done it. And then any draws that we have coming up the season, we'll make sure that you go into those draws so you can win some really cool prizes. But Dr. David, it's been fantastic chatting to you today. It's been so cool chatting to you. And really, I want to encourage listeners, get behind you guys. Um, we are looking forward to at the end of the season coming and hopefully even raising more than 20,000 Rand and making hopefully making a bit of an impact um, in the important work that you guys are doing. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we want to encourage everyone. Go out, see the penguins in the wild. Come and visit Sankob if you want to see what we're doing and um, get involved. They they. They're worth um, having a look at. And uh, my favorite thing to do is just go and sit down at Boulder's Beach um, and watch them doing their own thing. That um, is always heartwarming. So we're excited to be partnering with Sankob during season eight of the podcast. We want to encourage as many of our listeners to adopt a penguin. We want to encourage as many of us we want to encourage as many of our listeners as possible to adopt a penguin. You can simply go to the Sankob website and get all the details. I'll pop a link in the notes to the show. Come on, let's get 20 penguins adopted before December. If you've got any value from the podcast, this is a great way to show your support. As always, The Burning Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part, Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. This episode was released a few days after Heritage Day in South Africa. A great way to celebrate Heritage Month is by participating in the SANSAB Heritage Challenge. This is a fantastic way to support the important work that BirdLife South Africa is doing to get bird names in all South Africa's official languages. To hear more about this challenge, I first have a chat to John White, the co-founder of the Birder app. I start by asking John to tell us a little bit more about who he is. Yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of Birda, um, a birdwatching app for um, trying to encourage as many people to get into birdwatching as possible. Um, and yeah, I'm originally from um, KZN, from Durban, uh, but spent a bit of time, about 10 years living in, in the Cape, um, and then moved over to the, the UK recently. So I'm actually living um, just outside a small town called Market Harbour in Leicestershire. So the birding is just not as good there as it was here because KZN has got fantastic birds. Yeah, um, the, you don't get this, the same sort of species diversity over here, but there's there's a whole lot of different stuff, which is which is obviously nice to see and 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 nice way to grow your global list. But yeah, I definitely definitely miss the birds in SA. Now, one of the birds in the UK that I've always dreamed of seeing is a puffin. Uh, those are like absolutely fantastic. It's my one of my dream yeah. birds. So I have to come to the UK to try and see a puffin. Yeah, I've actually day. I haven't seen one yet myself. So we've got to get to. I think it's Benton Cliffs. You've got to get to 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 see those. So the big question we're talking about. I'm going to use the, this term now. Another app. 
because there's so many birding apps out there. It seems like almost every month there's a new birding app. I've had actually had messages of people saying this app has been developed and this app has been developed. And then we're talking about Bird Lasser and there's Merlin, there's identification apps, there's the eBird app, there's all these apps. And now we're telling people that there's another app on the, the scene called Birder. So tell us why... Why another app? Yeah. Is is there really a need for another app to go on the market, to go on our phone? Surely we should be wanting to disconnect from our phones when we are Yeah, we do. I can talk about that a little bit later. We've got something that's coming soon called Retrospective Sessions, where you can go out birding, um, not take your phone out your pocket at all, um, and then just add your list um, after the fact rather than, than during the, the birding session itself. Um, yeah, but in terms of why um, why Birda, um, we're, we're the we basically, if you think of um, running and cycling apps before um, Strava, I don't know whether you're familiar with Strava, Adam. Before I go down this route, but um, yeah, Strava is a big sort of social running and outdoors fitness type app. Um, and before Strava existed, there was hundreds of different apps. Um, but none of them had a community aspect to them. Um, and the same problem exists in bird watching. There's the, the community is sitting on disparate platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, and the, the sort of tools that people use for bird watching are sitting in a variety of different apps. And, and we've tried to consolidate those two things together into a single platform that's that you can do everything bird watching related um, and have the social community um, within a single platform. Um, and we're not asking people to ditch um, their existing recording apps. You can carry on recording on Bird Lasser and then just import your, your records over to, um, to Birda. Um, and yeah, take part in the, the sort of community aspect. We've also got a, a lot of fun challenges that sit on the app and We've got some cool badges and stuff to be, keep people engaged and, and have fun birding rather than um, than it being sort of this this perceived um, sort of sport for old old white males and in, in sort of green jackets. Um, we want it to be something that that everybody's in, engaged with. Um, and I think the the important point there is that if people are not connected with nature, as Mandy said, they they're very unlikely to to want to protect it. Um, you know, if if the sort of analogy that I normally use is if if I had a little wildlife reserve around the corner from me and it's somewhere where I like to spend uh, my time, if somebody threatened that place, I would be out there fighting for it because I wouldn't want to lose it. And I think there are too many people these days that don't have those wild spaces that they that they enjoy and that they cherish. Um, so it's it's just very easy for them to disappear without anybody taking notice. We've spoken about the general mission, and I love what the mission of Birda is: is to help people experience the natural world, so they help, so they'll fight to protect. I love the fact that there's the conservation, there's also the awareness, and you know, we you spoke about the Pokemon earlier on. I mean, Pokemon Go was quite a phenomenon, and that was you know the one thing about that it got people out there and. I think the technology is there. We often speak about the, the the dangers of technology and all the negative stuff. But the reality is technology is a bridge that allows people to get to get into birding and really opens the world of nature up to people in a way that they might never. I mean, for I mean a stupid example was I mean, we just this past weekend um, we got a thrush nightingale, which was the first ever record for KZ, and got that on, on a bird walk with a group of three or four. There was three of us at the time saw this bird. One of us got a picture, and we were able to get the bird onto social media, onto WhatsApp and different places, get the bird identified, um, and people were able to come and see the bird. And from that there, people were aware of the nature reserve that the bird has found, and, and all that happened because of technology. So technology is this fantastic bridge that I believe can help people experience nature in a way that they might never have connected unless they were um, utilizing that technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely something that we, um, you know, d despite the sort of problems that it causes um, for some people, it's definitely something that can be leveraged to to improve things. Um, there's there's a as you'll know there's a ton of data that's collected from from these wildlife sightings. Um, all of our records go up to the GBIF, which is used by researchers all over the world. 
Um, so that, that the, the data alone is massive, but it's also just yeah, getting people outdoors rather than sitting in front of technology at home. We'd rather, if they are using technology, they, they're outdoors and staying active and, and healthy and involved in, in a, a worthwhile hobby that, that, yeah, that's something that can keep them busy and, and happy and healthy. Uh, we already spoke about before. I'd love to get you guys back on, maybe do a webinar and go over the more intricate details about how the app works. Um, I don't think we have the time to give justice to that. But just as a general overview, someone downloads the the Bird app on their phone. What does how, how does the app function? What would you know? What would what does the the user experience look like yeah. on the app? So we we divide sort of the features and functionality into three different pillars. Um, and we try to do as much for the user as possible. So we don't, um, like I discussed before, whether there's these this at the moment with other apps and bird watching tools, there's, there's a need to switch between platforms. We try and do as much as we can within the app. And those three pillars are um, firstly a discovery phase. So somebody that's new to bird watching, they may not know where to go bird watching. So we've got a locations feature that helps you find where you need to go bird watching. Um, and on that feature, we've got a species list that shows you what you can see. Um, we've also got a really cool tool that, that is useful for people who are um, who have established life lists. We tell you at a location what you have um, already seen, obviously, and then what you haven't seen yet. Um, so, but, but that occurs at that location. So, if there's a location that is um, really good for bald albuses, say, then you know we'll show you that you haven't seen it on your life list yet and this location is an awesome place to go and see it. Um, so that's a discovery phase. We've then got a sort of in the field active phase where you're gonna you're gonna need to identify what you see um, and, and then log it. Um, and on the identification side we've got a um, a field guide, an integrated field guide into the app and it's 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 really deeply integrated into the logging process and um, the sort of community um, aspect. So if, if you, um, when you're basically logging some, you can tap on an image of, um, of the species you, you, you think you've seen and you go straight into the species guide and then you can jump back and then, um, and then log it. So it's that deep integration, which is, is super helpful for people. It also means that they don't need to go out and buy a bird book. Um, they can just use a free field guide within the app. Um, it's got obviously species distributions. We just about to introduce bird calls, um, so it's it's everything somebody needs to basically identify and then log what they've seen um, and then keep their life list. And then the third um, aspect is now you're home, you've posted your your session, um, your birding session, and you want to basically chat about it. You might have some unidentified species that you need the community to help with. Um, and that is the social aspect where you now you're communicating with people and you're commenting and you're going backwards and forwards um trying to trying to help id something um and yeah so we th that's a a general overview of of hard works and and um how we try and integrate all of these different sort of aspects of birding into into a single platform Oh, it's really fantastic. Um, such a awesome app and love the concept. Uh, yeah, like I said, love to have you back on again and talk a little bit more about it. Um, encourage birders to go out there, download the app um, and play around on the app uh, just as a matter of interest. And I just wanted to do it on purpose is while we were, while you were chatting, I downloaded the app, ready in for it now. And I think I already got the app on my phone. That's how easy it yeah. is. It's like simply very easy to, to load into. And I think that's it's not difficult to do, which and, is really cool. What's really important, Adam, is the um, we've obviously um, challenges are a big component of um, of getting people outdoors, so motivating people to to get out and go bird watching. And we're obviously running the Sansab um, challenge um, in collabor collaboration with um, Bird Life South Africa. So we're trying to bring as much awareness to what Sansab are doing um, to encourage people to um, to donate to the the cause and get involved with the cause and um and yeah spend more time outside bird watching just uh, just a quick question before we get are you able to import your life list from other apps or do you have to restart again because that's always yeah. a bit of a, yeah, no, we, <laughs> a painful we've thing got, um we've got built-in integrations um for ebird um bird track which is a big one over here in the uk 
um, bird lasser um, and our naturalist. And we are busy working on a generic um, import platform when you, where you'll be able to import from any other platform and then even import um, media. So if you've got a, um, I've got a photo life list and, and that's a big sticking point for a lot of people. It's, it's difficult to get media um, transferred over and, and we're busy working on that too. Now, I know Andrew's going to fill us a little bit more about the, um, the heritage, uh, the heritage uh, challenge, but just as, uh, just if you can give us a little bit of an overview of what this challenge is all about and why Birda has got involved. Yeah, we just, um, we, we going back to um, the point on, on how people that are disconnected with nature are less likely to um, to get involved in um, in in protecting it, it's you know if somebody doesn't have names for the birds around them, um, they can't take that first step into into bird watching. Um, so yeah, we think it's 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 super important if we're going to grow the bird watching community and connect pe- people with nature. There's no better place to start than um, than encouraging more languages um, to 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 have full lists of. Um, of all the bird species we want to encourage birders to uh who are on the podcast now download the bird app onto your your phone integrate it with your you know that we spoke about integrating the different your different apps that are on your phone um and yeah participate in the challenge um we really really important thing i think you only like it says here that you only have to uh over the month record i think how much is how, how many species you've got to record log 12 species um, on the on the app, and there's fantastic prizes, including a pair of Vortex Diamondback HD 10 by 42 binoculars. Well, all you got to do is just record birds. I mean, yeah. literally, just go and do what you love doing, and uh, use the app and record birds, and stand a chance to win prizes and make a difference in conservation. Yeah, yeah and we've got a little leaderboard on there. Um, the the limit. Well, the, the challenge um, threshold is, is 12 species, so it's, it's really attainable for, for most people. But if you're competitive out there and you've got um, you like, you like a bit of competition, then um, you can try and get to the top of the leaderboard and see, try and compete. I think at the moment there's, um, there's somebody with about, I think if I remember correctly, about 192 species is the current record. Um, so that's... Um, and a guy called Art uh, Phillips has seen 192 species. So get out there and try and beat him. I've been playing around with the Birda app and I've been very impressed so far. The app allows me to record birds, share my photos and connect with birders from around the world. I've already logged my 12 birds for the Heritage Challenge and now I'm seeing how far I can climb up the leaderboard. If you think you can beat me or if you just want to have some fun, download the Birda app today. The links are on the notes to the show. Now to tell us more about the Heritage Challenge and why having names in all of South Africa's official languages is important, I chat with Andrew de Bloch and Tandi Tobela from BirdLife South Africa. So I'm chatting to Andrew de Bloch, the Aviatourism Project Manager at BirdLife South Africa, and Nandi Tobela, the Empowering People Program Manager at BirdLife South Africa. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks very much, Adam. Thank you, Adam. So, Andrew, you've been a regular on the show. I don't know how many times you've been on the show, but you've been quite a few times on the show. So, I think most people know who you are and what you do. But, Nandi, this is the first time you've been on the Bird Life podcast. So, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is at Bird Life South Africa. I am originally from KwaZulu Natal in a small town called Umzimkulu. And I hold a background in social science, environmental management, and raw resource management. And um, I joined BirdLife South Africa last year, working as an Empowering People Program Manager, which is essentially a program focused on empowering people through the conservation of birds. Uh, I want to find a little bit about SANSAP first, which stands for the South African Names for South African Birds, um, which is a working group, which is working to get names into in, uh, indigenous languages for uh, different species, different languages in South Africa. So Nandi, tell us a little bit about the project and what it's all about. So Adam, um, this is a, a, a quite a long-lived project um, that really started with, uh, uh, in, in KZN, with a couple of professors who had the interest to develop um, bird names in Isuzulu. And with the formalization of the SANSEP committee, we have sort of consolidated all the work that they have done and um, tried to, in fact, we achieved to um, 
complete uh, a list of all the bird names in South Africa in Isazulu. So not only the birds found in KZN, but the birds um, in the whole country. Well, that's really awesome. So Andrew, um, tell us why BirdLife South Africa, a bird conservation organization, is getting involved in a project to get bird names in the different languages. I mean, surely there's more important projects to be involved in. <laughs> you would think so. Um, I mean, BirdLife South Africa does a lot of stuff, as you you know. Um, I get asked sometimes why there's a tourism project at BirdLife South Africa, which is a conservation organization. And I think it comes down to the point that people will never look after anything that they aren't aware of, that they don't love, that they don't care about. Um, that's essentially the reason why this whole project is, is falling under BirdLife South Africa. We obviously have the mandate of conserving South Africa's birds and their habitats, uh, but that always comes with people. Uh, conservation can't exist without people. Uh, it's just a, a very outdated mind frame to try and exclude people from conservation. So we try to be as inclusive as we can at BirdLife South Africa and find creative and different ways for us to connect with people and connect people to birds. So, you know, for instance, a name of a bird seems like a very simple thing. And it, it's, uh, I guess, a small change to make to give a, a bird a name in a vernacular language. Uh, but... If you, if you just consider talking to a class of school kids in rural KwaZulu-Natal about the bird of the year last year, and you have to say, Ikape Gannet, uh, and you're talking Sizulu to the kids, it just, it creates that degree of separation from from the bird uh, and from the whole message. Uh, whereas if you can call it Isitribamanzi, which is the new Zulu name, um, that just creates that much deeper a connection. So... Essentially, you know, at our heart, obviously, we're interested in conservation, and that means that people have to care about birds, and a name for a bird in your mother tongue is just one extra way that we can connect people with birds. And I'm sure Nandi and Andrew um, both can maybe chip in on this next, this next question, but, you know, obviously, one of the factors which, I mean, when I got birding, for example, um, there's very few um, black birders. It's very... Uh, you know, I probably know one plus the community guides, uh, uh, maybe two. And obviously, there's not a lot of people of color in, in birding. So we obviously can speak about the, the fact that names might be a bit of a barrier. But what are some of the other things that might be a bit of a barrier? And how's BirdLife South Africa, you know, helping to address these things? So I, um, I think I'll jump in here, Adam, uh, first. Um, BirdLife South Africa is trying to address this thing in a very strategic um, way by, you know, um, and using many tools, you know, identifying birding areas, identifying birding areas within communities and associated um, uh, recommended accommodations and um, and a, a tour guide that you can hire. So, you know, we have the Go Birding platform that we launched last year. And that's also another way that we're trying to, you know, bring in people into this niche um, market to, you know, to enjoy the birds and to participate. And um, also by um, you know trying to you know communicate what BirdLife South Africa is doing through our various programs is a way that we're also trying to include people in in every tourism and you know through the the, the bird clubs so the bird clubs are local based groups um, you know they support us a lot and um, you know we often go and make presentations to these bird clubs you know and you know they're often involved in many community aspects whether it's cleanups. Um, whether it's, you know, um, social upliftment. And that's also another way that we try to at least um, in, enhance people's um, or entice people's interest in breeding. Yeah, I'll come in next. Um, there's a few different ways. I mean, this NAMES project is, is one of them. If we stick with the language theme, BirdLife South Africa's uh, webpage is actually available in uh, three languages now, English, Afrikaans, and this is Zulu. Uh, our Bird of the Year materials have been translated into a number of different languages. Isizulu, Isikosa, uh, Sepedi, uh, Chivenda, uh, depending on where the bird is from and who the target audience will be. Um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different ways. There's more symbolic ways. So uh, last year we celebrated Black Birders Week, which is an American-started week uh, that is designed to increase the the demographics around birding and birding communities. Uh, we've symbolically named our library here at Isdal House after Saul Sitole, who is the assistant to Austin Roberts, the 
uh, you know, preeminent ornithologist who the Roberts bird books are named after. Um, uh, Saul Satole was, you know, the guy that did a lot of the work that Roberts is lauded for. So, you know, those those kind of small gestures also help. Um, and our engagements with schools, um, you know, our schools program at the moment that Nandi heads up is in, in ba- mostly based in, in rural Kazuni Natal, uh, around Tlutluwe area and, and others. And we're engaging with school kids and trying to get them from the ground up interested in birds and the environment. So you've got to tackle this kind of thing on, on many different fronts at the same time. I don't know if I spoke to you about this before, Andrew, in a previous interview, but you know, I can imagine one of the factors that might be a bit of a hindrance also is stuff like the the economic barriers. Um, and the reason I'd say that is, I mean, if you arrive at most bird club outings, you know, you've got a whole lot of people there with nice cameras, nice binoculars, nice four by fours, and I can imagine if a person from a you know a disadvantaged area were to come in there, they might feel a little bit out. Is is there things that BirdLife South Africa is doing to address that and maybe even on a bird club level are there things that maybe could be done a little bit differently to you know make things a little bit more um, inclusive um, so we can break down those barriers yeah I mean the beauty of birding is really at a base level you don't need any equipment you just need to step outside and start appreciating birds right so uh, the, the actual economic costs of, of getting involved in birding are not that hectic but of course it, uh, it obviously increases the enjoyment of the birds if you can have a field guide. And we often are donating field guides to different school projects and outreach projects to, to help with that. We've uh, over time donated tens of pairs of binoculars to uh, similar projects as well, helping them out uh, to trainee guides, uh, nature guides that are interested in birds and birding. Um, so we try and do our bit here and there where we can. Of course, we're a small organization with only a certain amount of resources ourselves. And as you as you brought up earlier, our main our main mandate is conservation. But we do try and get actively involved, you know, where we can with within the capacity and resources that we do have. We've we've spoken about this this uh, South African national names for South African birds quite a mouthful. I know the the shorter version is easier. But what is the process of getting bird names in a new language? How does that process look like? Um, so, you know, Adam, there are many challenges or areas with information, the deficiency in this process. You know, this project is not only about giving new names to birds. In most vernacular languages, there's one name for um, many um species of birds of birds so uh, one of the challenges we had so for example an owl in my language is called discover whether it's a grass owl whether it's a spotted eagle owl so i think so it is what has um, been important is understanding the information deficiencies such as that and then there's the aspect of birds that never occurred in KZN, such as the cape gannet um, who uh, don't have a name at all in isuzulu and um, developing new names for that. So then this whole process, uh, we have tried to follow a very participatory methodology that involves communities uh, and involves our community bird guides, it involves um, linguists, and it involves um, bird enthusiasts um, who are happy to share their expertise in describing uh, bird behavior. And through consultative um, processes, we have engaged with the community elders in the communities to try and understand um, whether do birds do name do name birds exist for certain species and if they did exist what is the acceptable name so it's not just about creating new names but it's about including names that existed previously and um, consolidating any names um, so you know sometimes there's two names for a bird and also then developing new names uh, based on um, the, the 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 bird behavior and the ways to identify the bird. I must say, just on a side note, so I've got that book with the Zulu bird names. I love the Zulu bird names. I mean, like in English, most uh, we got quite boring names. You start going to Afrikaans and Zulu and that. The birds are the names are so descriptive and like they've all got a story. It's really cool. But but Andrew, um, coming up uh, this well during the month of September. September's already halfway through, but throughout the month of September. Um, BirdLife South Africa has partnered with the Birder app to put together the Heritage Challenge. So tell us about the challenge and how people can get involved. 
Yeah, so quickly, just on your point about how beautiful Zulu names are, I think it just deserves a few examples. You know, I talked about this Tribamanzi, the Cape Gannet, which means a spear into the water, which, uh, you know, those of us that know the feeding habits of Cape Gannets, that will make perfect sense. And just it's such a nice name for, for a gannet. My, my favorite all-time Zulu name actually is for the African pitta, which is uh, Unotingo, which uh, means the rainbow bird, which if you've ever seen an African pitta, it's got all the colors of the rainbow. So, you know, really beautiful names that have come up with it. It's really important we note that they're not just translations of English Afrikaans names. But then on the, on the Heritage Challenge, so this is a very exciting campaign that uh, we've launched with Verda, as you say, for the month of September, which is both Heritage Month and Tourism Month. So it's also spring as well. So it's really nicely timed from that aspect. And the idea is to for people to download the Birda app. So it's B-I-R-D-A and uh, just log 12 species. And that's 12 is symbolic of our 12 official languages. So, of course, we've added South African sign language to the list. So it used to be 11. It's now 12. And if you log at least 12 species on the Birda app during the month of September, uh, you will earn your Sansab badge as part of the Heritage Challenge. And maybe more importantly, 100 Rand uh, will come to BirdLife South Africa. So this is all in aid of getting another workshop off the ground because, as Nandi mentioned, we need a participatory, inclusive approach to creating bird names. We want to involve as many people as possible. And that requires these ongoing workshops and engagements that do run up uh, in terms of costs. So this is a, a partnership that Birda has has put to us and said, well, you know, if we can get some some users on the app and get people engaged in birding in South Africa, well, we'll support your Sansair project because they also see the value in breaking down those demographic and language barriers to birding. So you know, kudos to Birda for coming on board. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, Wilo Distributors and Umflanga also sponsored the the prize for a raffle or sorry a lucky draw which is a pair of vortex diamondback 10 by 42 binoculars which i'm sure we'd all have to get our hands on so it's literally as simple as downloading the app uh, you'll trigger a hundred rand donation for bird life south africa and put your name in the hat to wear a pair of binoculars you know what's to lose oh definitely worth taking taking part in but last thing andrew i know we've got to finish off now we've got a time limit but just one thing middle of heritage month not only is heritage month happening but the rugby world cup is happening and i know um we have a pod this is one podcast i want to just give you a shot uh, a chance to shout out you have your own rugby podcast which is quite cool i think it's yeah tell us about that quickly and how people can find your rugby podcast well obviously pop a link into the the notes of the show also so if someone's interested in rugby they can check out your podcast <laughs> yeah, I mean, BirdLife South Africa has been trying to get on top of the Rugby World Cup as well. We've got an office, a Super Brew Pool. It's very competitive. And we've had a bit of social media going out about the green and gold. Because, of course, the Cape Parrot, our bird of the year, is also green and gold prior to South Africa. So, uh, yeah, we're celebrating the Springboks this month. Um, I have, as you say, a rugby podcast. It's called Elite Rugby Banter. Um, it's nothing, nothing elite about it. It's just me and two friends who get together weekly and talk about rugby but uh we get a few hundred listens per week so yeah if anyone would like to hear about rugby and isn't sick of my voice yet uh head to elite rugby banter on your favorite podcast platform so download the bird app and participate in the heritage challenge not only will you help raise funds for bird south africa but you'll also stand a chance to win some amazing prizes oh and don't forget 20 penguin adoptions this season Let's make a difference, not only birding, but helping to conserve the birds that we enjoy so much. Until next time, be blessed and happy birding.